Welcome to Supply Chain Now, the voice of global supply chain. Supply Chain Now focuses on the best in the business for our worldwide audience, the people, the technologies, the best practices, and today's critical issues, the challenges and opportunities. Stay tuned to hear from those making global business happen right here on Supply Chain Now. Hey, good morning, everybody. Scott Luton and special guest host Jenny Froome with you right here on Supply Chain. Now, welcome to today's show. Jenny, how you doing? Good. How you doing? Doing wonderful. We got two of our favorite people uh, here with mm-hmm. us today, and, and we're going we're gonna to introduce, formally introduce one of our favorite repeat guests in a minute, Jenny, but I'm pretty stoked about today's conversation. How about you? Yeah, me too. I love talking to this special guest. I do too. So, On today's episode, we're continuing our Supply Chain Leadership Across Africa series in conjunction, of course, with Jenny Froome and our friends at SAPIX. Jenny, as you may recall, serves as COO of the SAPIX organization, doing wonderful work from a professional development and networking standpoint. Uh, Really, I'd call it not just best practice dissemination, but insights, market intel. How can we get through these challenging times, not just from a supply chain standpoint, Jenny, but a global business standpoint, right? Community. Community. That is right. And team, because together, mm-hmm. everyone achieves more. Right, Jenny? See, we're learning from a couple That's of our past good. conversations. So you can learn mm-hmm. more about SAPIX at SAPIX.org. So with that said, I want to formally welcome in our wonderful guests here today. We've enjoyed a variety of, of past discussions. Get ready to be inspired and informed. Uh, I want to welcome back Ramatu Abdul Qadir, aka the supply chain maestro. Ramatu, how you doing? Thank you, Scott. I'm doing great. And Jenny, it's so nice to catch up with you two once again. And I'm excited to be on this show again. Well, you know, we had we had to track your agent down. Uh, she was dodging us because uh, your your schedule's so crazy, but we finally nailed down the date. And it's great to have you back. You know, uh, Jenny and Ramatu, it's been we blink. And months go past. So the last time you were with us, Ramatu, was episode 673, which we released on the 5th of July, 2021. So it's a few months back. Tell us, what have you been up to since, Ramatu? Yeah, thank you, Scott. Well, um, it's been crazy for the past few months. I've continued with my research. If you recall, my last um, on the last show, I told you about my research and some of the findings um, from my research. But immediately after that, we started planning for the third African conference on operations and supply chain management in Kigali, Rwanda. And that was my first um, in-person conference um, after COVID. And uh, it was so exciting. And um, um, also, I was very anxious because it's been long that I went for any conference with COVID testing. And uh, I just wasn't sure what it was going to be like. Like, um, you get tested before you leave. Once you get to Kigali, you get tested. I think I had like five to six tests just um, going through that process. But um, it was well worth it, considering that I met um, a lot of researchers from all over the world and people from everywhere in Africa doing so many exciting research. And um, so it was really worth it um, going through all those COVID tests to meet those people and network and also look at opportunities of collaboration on research, um, especially on the African continent, 
to try and see how we can fix some of the problems that we are battling with. Yeah, so that was, it, it was really great having that um, conference last two weeks. And um, now I'm looking forward to Really quick, that was the TEDx uh, conference focused on operations. And what was the other topic? So that was the TED African conference on operations and supply chain management in Kigali, Rwanda. Gotcha. I'm thinking like uh, TED Talks. Sorry, it, I got you. A third. Okay, I got. I'm I'm with you now. I'm a little bit slow sometimes for my two. Um, and you were talking about how um, you really appreciated the opportunity to basically compare notes and compare research with a lot of other um, um, uh, leaders about some of the challenges inherent to Africa. What what is one what's one challenge in particular, and maybe even non-COVID related, because I think the whole world has got plenty of challenges, but what is one challenge in particular you really enjoyed your conversations around at this conference? Yeah, so I think um, um, aside from some of the researches that were focused on, so we had some researches focused on the aerospace industry in Tanzania. We had um, some also were focused on um, the agri and food logistics supply chain, um, looking at landlocked countries, East African countries, Ethiopia, Rwanda, Tanzania, and how they were managing uh, with COVID and also the huge and rising cost of um, transportation. Um, there was also re uh, some research on electoral logistics, which was very interesting because uh, we're approaching elections in Nigeria. Um, very soon in 2023, we'll be having our elections and there was a research on that which really caught attention of people. I also found it very exciting, but I think I will have to give it to the agri-cam supply chain because right now with the rising um, cost of food and um, just um, increasing level of poverty, so um, having research on agri-supply chain is, I think, is critical at this stage that we find ourselves. So that was, um, I was really interested in those researches that were focused on agri-supply chain. Mm. So Jenny, bringing you in here, that's uh, that's just the tip of the iceberg, uh, it, it, and and those are some very weighty challenges. What mm. what does that bring your mind to? What 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 thoughts come to your mind as as Ramatu kind of walks through some of that? Yeah, so much. I mean, immediately I go to the to the food security aspect and at the our own conference in, in August this year, we had Yako Mas, who's been on the on, on the show, talk just talking about, you know, how do we know where our food comes from and you know what's in our food. And I think that that is one of those big, big, big questions that we all have. And then there's also the food wastage that goes on, not just on the continent, but in the world. Um, and it and it is it's it's horrific. And so any research that can go into into that. The other thing, Ramati, that you mentioned about the electoral um, supply chain. I can remember when I first started working with SAPIX, we had the Independent Electoral Commission become members of SAPIX. And I can remember thinking, why on earth would they want to be? members of a supply chain organization. And then you stop and you think about the logistics and the supply chain around the whole elections um, and the whole process. And it really is, it's quite a, it's quite a feat that I think a lot of people do take for granted. Well said, well said, Jenny. Uh, Ramacha, you wanna to respond to that for a second? And then Jenny, we're gonna 
dive a little bit deeper into where where Ramato's been spending Ramato's been spending her time. Any any thoughts there, Ramato? Yeah, I, I think that's um, very correct in terms of um, food wastages, and this is all closely connected to the transport logistics um, systems. And um, I think um, there was a lot of discussions around use of um, technology um, to improve the supply chains, which is really good. Also, um, looking at um, e-commerce, um, there was a lot of discussions around sustainability and uh, how to ensure that um, we minimize the wastages in the supply chain right now. So I, I think that um, just having people um, really focusing and researching those areas to try and come up with um, innovative solutions um, will really help um, Africa right now towards our economic recovery. Mm-hmm. Outstanding. Um, well, the, well, you know, if they've got Ramatu involved, Jenny, they got the best and the brightest. Uh, and and I know we could make some uh, progress on some of these big challenges. All right, so Jenny. Uh, where are we going next with our dear friend Ramatu? Yeah, I was just I was going to ask something that that really I find quite thought provoking is this discussion and knowing how passionate on the continent people are about education um, and and qualifications and getting as many not letters after your name just for the sake of letters but learning learning learning. I was I was quite intrigued by the discussions going around that several large organizations now and their recruitment plans are going to stop asking for degrees. They're going to ask and be more interested in aptitude. Now, for me, as somebody who is definitely the letters after my name are QBE, which is qualified by experience, and that's it. Um, it's it. It's music to my ears, but I just wonder how you feel um, about that and whether you think that will sort of take the edge off uh, people wanting to get degrees. Uh, I, For me personally, I don't think um, that will affect um, anything um, looking at the short term because um, I think it's a great thing that these companies are doing. Uh, experience is very important and knowing or being able to solve problems, for me, I think that's the most important thing. But we also have to look at how our education systems have been designed. So it's one thing to say, I wouldn't be asking for certificates or degrees, but it's another thing to look at the entire system more holistically. But when you're looking at it from the perspective of an employer, definitely if I was employing, I would be looking for people that can do the job. I don't care about the number of certificates you have. It doesn't make any difference as long as you cannot deliver any value to the customer or to the end user of um, my product or services. So that is very important. And depending on uh, where you stand on that, also in terms of looking at education. So for me, I don't see education as um, just having degrees and all that. I think education goes beyond having degrees. There's so much to learn. And there's um, learning by experience, like you talked about. There's travel experience. People just absorb this knowledge. So for me, learning is beyond um, getting a certificate. Certificate is just one of it. But I think the main thing is being able to create solutions to the problems that we face. And if um, people that have experience are out there to do it, why not? Why wouldn't we take them? Of course, 
as a CEO or any CEO in any industry, you would want somebody that can do the job. It doesn't matter if it comes with degrees or without degrees and all that. So for me, I'm a pragmatist when it comes to that. Um, get things done, whatever it takes to get things done. And um, that's what I believe we should be doing. Both of y'all make great points there. And I think one of the, just my observation, whether it's remotely accurate or not, I think that um, in this era where selling certifications, selling degrees, you know, the, the, the industry boom related to that. Yeah. I think somehow we've, we've trained students that, Hey, you focus on getting that degree or that certification and jobs and opportunity are going to come with it. And, and, and some of that's true, right? Some of that is true. There's value there. However, I would argue as we're, we're talking about folks that can get the job done. I think Ramatu is how you put it. You know, those students that really in, apply themselves to the industry engage where it's more about the overall journey, educational journey and, and, and where they see their wherewithal impacting uh, current industry. And then you, that in conjunction with a degree, with a uh, cert- certification, whatever it is, I think those are the folks that are probably most valuable to the hiring managers out there, because it's not just the fact that they were able to pass this test or that test, you know, get through that, uh, the educational, you know, check the boxes there, but it's, it's how they change who they are and, and really bring, are able to bring more value to the table because they've got the, the textbook training, but then they've applied it to what they're seeing and experiencing industry. So I don't know if that makes sense, but we've seen a lot of that out in industry and, and, you know, Jenny and Ramatu, both all of us have been involved in networking groups, you know, for, for, for a long time. And I think we've all probably rubbed elbows with folks that just laser focused on just that additional LinkedIn accomplishment, thinking that positive Pandora's box was going to open up. And it just, it doesn't quite work like that, right? No, no, it doesn't work like that. And I think um, also, um, looking back at some of the projects I've worked on, we've seen these problems where people have certificates but um, cannot really add any value to the job. And um, that's why we try to work with some universities then in Kaduna State and trying to bring um, experience now, real life experience um, to learning. So, and that's why I say it has to do with the way our education is designed. They are designed to produce people that own certificates, which is wrong, really. We should produce um, graduates that have hands-on experience of the industry, that are market-ready, you know, that can go out there today and begin to solve problems, innovate, and think of new ways of doing things. So, so it's, it's, uh, it's the focus and the, the, the design, there's a, there's, a, there's a disconnect in our education mm-hmm. system. And I think we need to really go back and look at that. What is the problem? Are we just out to get certificates? Or do we want to get people out there that can do things, that can move products and solve problems? Well stated, yeah. Jenny. Yeah, I was just going to say, we just did our student, our young professional student conference a couple of weeks ago. And and that whole idea came through really loud and clear was that one of the roles I think that professional associations like SAPIX can actually fill is that work ready, is connecting the dots, is making the, the working people deal with the students and actually help to prepare them for what it is that's coming up. And we had one young man who had been a member of SAPEX who actually got a job interview 
purely because, not purely, obviously his CV looked good too, but the edge was given because he was a member of a professional association. And so, you know, that for me is great to see employers recognizing the value of network, community, et cetera, and what that can bring. I love that, Jenny. What a great point. Both, mm-hmm. both, and I love uh, going back to your point, Ramatu, about holistically evaluating our educational programs. And it, it's more than programs. It's, it's how, how are we educating that vital pipeline of talent at all levels, right? So I think that's going to be a big lesson learned and mm-hmm. with action items to get through the COVID time. As I know Jenny kind of moving next with Ramatu, mm-hmm. I think, I think you got some questions around that, right? Well, I was just really interested, first of all, to hear you talk, Ramatu, about after COVID, um, because, you know, here in South Africa, we're still very much in, in the middle of it, not the middle, we're kind of on the cusp of, and everybody's now hypothesizing about fourth wave, et cetera, et cetera. But how have things been in Nigeria? I get such sort of mixed messages. And, and from your perspective, I know um, you touched on a, a while ago, just about sort of being able to be involved in the initial vaccine rollout. Um, how have things sort of evolved in, in the year and a half, actually, I think, since, since that happened? So I think um, the vaccine rollout has been pretty successful, depending on how you look at it. At least um, there are vaccines in the hospital. I've been there. I'm fully vaccinated. So I've seen, seen how it works and all that. But I think um, the bigger problem we have on our hands now is the vaccine hesitancy now. So you have the vaccines and people are not interested in taking the vaccine. So that's um, something that also needs to be solved. But I think that um, it's not only peculiar for COVID vaccine. We've had that problem with with other vaccines. And it all boils down to education also. So And um, trust in the system. So when people don't trust the system, um, they are not likely to go out there and get vaccines. So it might be easier for those of us that are healthcare, public healthcare professionals, um, we have more information and um, to, to be able to make informed decision. But unfortunately, that is not true for everybody else. So now we have to struggle with um, getting everybody out there to get vaccinated. And um, so vaccine hesitancy is still a big deal. Um, there are people that feel um, they don't need vaccines and, and all that. So we need to continue to work uh, in terms of sensitization and um, also showing people that it's safe um, to get these vaccines and um, so that they can go out there and get the vaccines. Hmm. Trust, trust is, um, as we all know, is that universal accelerant to any almost anything right when you've got trust involved in a relationship or a product or a partnership or you name it uh, we can move faster and have greater impact and and it sounds like uh ramato we do have more more uh, heavy lifting to do in that regard um okay jenny we we're talking pre-show about how the supply chains i thought you had a great question uh how supply chains for other diseases have coped with all of, you know, everything that's going, that's being pointed and directed towards, you know, the battle against COVID-19. Ramatu, any, any comments or observations there? So um, the supply chains for other medicines are not coping, um, just like every other supply chains. Um, people are running out of drugs and so many health supplies, of course, you know, the challenges of um, the pots 
in countries, um, containers, shortages of containers, and um, just moving um, products from manufacturers down here, especially that we do not have a lot of manufacturers, so we have to ship a lot of our products from China, so that's a problem here because, um, and also the rising cost of shipment, it's a problem. Um, products are going up really fast and we're trying to look at, it's not even comparable, so you can compare it to pre-COVID in terms of cost. So, and that is a problem for, for people. So you need to get medicines and um, those medicines are not available or they are just too expensive um, for people to be able to, to get them. So that is impacting on access and affordability and that is a huge problem because what it means is that we're going to be having problems with um, other diseases. So there are other diseases, diabetes, hypertension, and um, even before COVID, the drugs were expensive and now they're even getting even more expensive. And so as healthcare professionals, we have to be able to engage people and even policymakers to see how these medicines can be made available for um, the people that really need them. And I, I think it's also, you know, I mean, measles, measles is going to be all these vaccines that we've sort of taken for granted again, that suddenly people had a, had a choice. A lot of people in, in some countries made the decision not to. But in certain countries, you can't even have a choice because they're just not available. And so therefore, these, these sort of things are going to come out again and resurface. And I know that also birth control has been, uh, all, the, all the contraceptives have all also been, um, supply has been disrupted drastically in, in various countries as well. Um, not just, well, because of COVID, but also because of, of infrastructure challenges as well. Mm. So I want to shift gears to some good news for my two. Yeah. Some good news, because as you lay out there, I bet a lot of folks hadn't even thought about, I'm, I'm guilty as charged, hadn't even thought about the supply chains behind um, uh, you, you know, other diseases, conditions, you know, the products and, and medicines, everything that, that addresses um, the, the slew of things that impact us all. So that's, that's a great call out there. Um, but on, on a much brighter uh, note, positive note, uh, Ramato, you know, last time we, we were chatting with you back in June, you talked about, um, you know, this opportunity in your career here to focus on research, right? And, 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 and to, you know, deliberately and intentionally be that student of supply chain once again, despite everything you already know and being the expert that you are in your own right. So what has been, what, what has it been like for you to be, to have this opportunity to really spend your time studying global supply chains? It's been an exciting period for, for me. And I believe that um, the research I'm working on, it's going to really help the healthcare supply chains in Nigeria and even globally because people can learn from what we've done and how we've done things to be able to fix their own problems. So aside from the challenges of rising costs of medicines because of transportation costs and every other things and um, difficulty in getting raw materials and all that. So because I'm working on performance management in my supply chain, and trying to look at um, areas that um, we can maximize and reduce wastages. So it's very important that the resources that we have, resources are always scarce. They are not available all the time. So we have to deploy them to the most critical areas of healthcare. 
if we have um, shortages in some areas, so let's say we have um, medicines for hypertension, and you know, every time we're rolling out new medicines and they just keep coming out and they just keep rolling out more medicines from the manufacturers, now it's important to really prioritize the medicines that we need to get because we don't have money to buy everything. But we can try to get things that are very important to save lives, those essential medicines that we can focus on. And Jenny talked about um, family planning medicines. Those have been scarce, even pre-COVID. They've been very difficult to get them in the market and also the cost of getting them is expensive. But these are all areas that government and policymakers can focus attention now and try to get those medicines out for people to use. And measuring the performance is important because we have huge wastages in the system. And I believe if we can reduce those wastages, we'll be able to have more products available um, for people. Jenny also talked about infrastructure, very important, storage of medicines, transport networks, ensuring that medicines get to the last mile in the best condition that they should be. It's also very important or else we'll have medicines that have lost their potency and um, they're just um, placebos or something for people to take. So all these are factors that um, if we can concentrate on them and as researchers, we can sensitize people about how to um, work with the resources that you have, areas you need to focus on in terms of your improvement plans to be able to improve the overall network performance. Okay. It just reminded me, that's that was a big thrust of what we talked about last time, continuous improvement, right? Uh, what Rather than fighting in the the moment to put out the fire or solve this problem or you know blocking and tackling that they get so much of our attention hey how can we elevate and optimize overall performance you know what what metrics are we not looking at that we should be looking at what's one of the big lessons or one of the big things we talked about last time ramatu all right so jenny uh when you hear that and you hear what ramatu just just uh kind of rattled off there what are some of your thoughts that come to your mind I think I continue to go, whenever I talk supply chain to other people, I'm continually reminded of a kind of a really big COVID silver lining in that everybody's starting to understand more about what it is that happens within the supply chain. And, you know, we've all become using terminology that we never thought we would. I mean, you know, I never used to use the word efficacy in my whole life. And now you start talking about vaccines and how they must be stored and at what temperature. And all of a sudden, ordinary people are experts. And I think that that it, it has huge, huge value. And we've, we've got to capitalize on, on that. And the research that you're doing, Ramati, is going to, it's going to change that exponentially because now we've got stuff backed up by fact. And I think that's always the most important thing is that it's very easy to, to quote. And I think the vaccine hesitancy has got something around that with all the misinformation that's happening and people dealing with emotion. Um, and talking with emotion and not based on fact. And I think that, you know, that's where researchers are so, I don't know, underestimated in a way, because what you do gives us the facts on which we can base our conversations. Well said. And I would argue that the supply chain, the fact supply chain has been disrupted as well. Those shelves that had plenty of facts 
they've been empty at times. So, but you, you make such a great point because inherently there's a ton of emotional emotion and how we feel and how we're perceiving, you know, this crazy time we're getting through, but the facts and the science and you know, the concrete information that we can lean on to make decisions is so important. Ramatu, mm-hmm. your thoughts. Yeah, I think um, that's really important. At the beginning of um, COVID and uh, much later on when the vaccines came out, I was really surprised when some people started calling me. And these are not people that um, we talk with like um, frequently asking, what do I think about the vaccines? Are they safe? Um, And for me, I was working then in the supply chain, but not really on the COVID vaccine um, angle. And these were people that were very concerned and they wanted to know my opinion in terms of taking the vaccines based on all the misinformation out there. And I think this is a gap that supply chain professionals um, can can fill in terms of being out there, putting out the right information, encouraging people, and also researching. It's very important, sifting through the massive um, misinformation out there and knowing what's right, what is the truth, and what is not based on evidence and uh, critical information that is also out there. Sifting through that information is one of the rules that we can play by um, disseminating the right information out to people because that is our traditional role. But I think it's even more critical. With COVID now, we have to tell people what is the right thing. So I've had people tell me, okay, so which of the vaccines should I take? Is it Moderna? Is it AstraZeneca? You know, and it's such a huge challenge for um, professionals right now also and everybody is looking up to credibility um, in terms of um, figuring out a way forward so I think it's very important that uh, we put ourselves even more out there um, but we can't do it with our research um, going through all those information sifting them and disseminating the right information to the public excellent point and going back to uh, kind of one of your earlier comments uh, I think I agree with you. Supply chain practitioners and professionals are already kind of, their mindset is, hey, let's start. Let's get all the data on the table. Let's get the facts on the table. Let's figure out what we're dealing with first. And then from there, we put our action plan or countermeasures together. That's just part of you know who we are as practitioners. And I think to your point, Ramatu, that's been one of the, one of the most challenging aspects of all of this, because at times there hasn't been that aligned central set of facts and truths to rally around. And I know that um, Jenny, you and I have talked about that before. So anyway, great comment there, Ramatu. All right. So Jenny, you and I both kind of moving right along. Ramatu, you've talked about your your family and your daughters. I, I, want, I want to kind of move to a, a, a more of a personal note. I think you have three daughters and, and uh, Jenny and I can relate uh, as uh, mothers and fathers as well. And I think, you know, observing well, I'll call it observing some days, other days in terms of how they react. Other days it's been coping and 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 putting up, maybe tolerating, you know, some of their responses to you know this, that, and the other. Uh, and I, and you know, I'm kind of as I say all that, I'm I'm you know maintaining that sense of humor has been uh, has been really important here. But how have your daughters, Ramatu, handled the pandemic and and all that it has brought? I don't think that they handled anything. <laughs> they've been very cranky. Um, <laughs> I think that's what they've been. 
um, it's confusing even for adults. So for kids, um, of course, there's that fear of the unknown. Like, so they've never experienced this. We have, I have also never experienced um, a pandemic in my lifetime. So I could imagine what the kids were going through. So it was a difficult period for, for, for the kids. And uh, we had to step in as parents to see how we can make it more bearable because that's, that's all we can do, make it more bearable. And now that schools are back, of course, there's a lot of lost um, lessons. So many lessons have been lost in between and um, students are still trying to cope with um, the, the times that schools have been locked down. Even though there's been um, e-learning and all that, um, it's a steep curve for, for kids, you know, and um, as a parent, you also have to be there um, going through the lessons side by side with them. So it's been very difficult for, for this generation of um, young people. And uh, I know that um, it has really impacted the way they even think also and see life. Um, because um, now you have to go to school with um, face masks and um, sanitizers. And these are supplies that we never had to buy before. And you have to keep on educating them also on the importance of hand washing and um, mingling with people, why it's important to stay away. And, you know, for children, they just don't understand that it's difficult. Like, why can't I play with my friends whenever I want that? So I think um, those are the, those category of people have been hit harder than everybody else. But as parents, we can only support them through it. And that's what we've been doing um, all through the pandemic. Mm. Jenny, any, any of your thoughts, sir? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we, we've had our 22-year-old son. He came home for Christmas and he was still here until the day before yesterday because he's supposed to be studying in Spain. And, you know, the, there's a reason why 22-year-olds aren't still supposed to be living at home with their parents. <laughs> um, and it's been, it's been a very special time, but it's also been a very frustrating time. And it's been fascinating watching how that they've become so immensely responsible, way beyond their years, I think, in, in understanding the do's and don'ts. And, and also going back to that whole understanding of the, the efficacy of the vaccines and which ones and all of this research that they themselves have done so as not to rely on on the perils of social media. And I think that I think that to a degree, there are a lot of very, very responsible young people out there who've been put through a very difficult time. And as you say, as parents, all we can do is, is support and try to be as strong as we can be. You know, I would add just where I see this, one of the silver linings, you know, we thought, you know, on one hand, we really thought we had a resilient, strong, vibrant supply chains. And then we really, we see how fragile uh, many aspects of that in reality as, as the pandemic has tested it and tested it, tested it once again. On the flip side, I think as a parent, you think about how, you know, small your kids are, they're learning, perhaps or you can use that same fragile description. But then I think what I've seen is despite all the challenges that you both point out and and, and new challenges you, you got, they got the challenges of just being a kid, right. Fitting in and social pressure and all that stuff that are timeless. And then they've got these unique challenges that none of us had to deal with, but the silver lining from what I see is that these kids are more resilient than I ever thought pre pandemic. 
And it's amazing mm-hmm. how it's, it's like little micro studies in leadership. It might be, it might sound cheesy, mm-hmm. but I'm telling you, I've got a whole newfound respect for how these kids have navigated and persevered and just dealt with, you know, even those times yeah. Ramatu when we couldn't make it better for them and we couldn't lessen the burden and we, we, we lose sleep at night, the kids fight through it and they just, they're, they're, they're troopers. And yeah, um, well so, yeah, but Ramatu, I think as parents, none of that makes it any easier, right? Cause, cause <laughs> there are kids, we don't want them to, to uh, have a bad day, right? Yeah. Um, and I, I think that um, you're very right. Um, the kids are even more resilient now. Uh, and just like Jenny, Jenny said, they've had to grow up faster, really, because um, uh, taking on a lot of responsibility um, because of the COVID and all that in terms of their lessons and even thinking about their careers now because things are different. So um, some of the things that were important before COVID suddenly are not even important anymore. Um, even career choice is, is, is different for people. You have to think about what you want to do. And um, like I said, for us as parents, it's just to continue to support. We, we can't be too imposing because we've never been through this um, lived experience before. So for, for the child, the way they interpret this situation is different from how we interpreted and so we're likely to see more kids coming up with different things i've seen people that have just changed careers or career life just because of covid and, and all that so we'll continue to play our roles as parents and hope that um, everything turns out right and it will it's going to it uh, especially with these folks on this panel here between jenny and Matu. <laughs> hey one quick question then jenny and then we're going to move into one of the final questions we want to pose but really quick are we encouraging on everything we've seen, especially the last two years, are we encouraging our kids to, to join the supply chain ranks in their careers or are we cautioning them more after the last couple of years? Ramatu, what's your answer in a nutshell? Um, I, I don't even, um, I don't encourage them to join supply chain. I have someone <laughs> in my house that is claiming to be a supply chain expert. Um, but has never been to supply chain school. And that's Zara. She thinks she's a supply chain expert. And I'm like, well, yes, of course you are. You know, that's how you get it done. So I, I think um, by just being out there and um, talking about it, you know, kids have a way of picking these things up. Um, it's not like I sit them down and say, oh, you have to be supply chain people. No. But now they all want to be supply chain. They see me on supply chain now like, wow, mommy, that's you. I want to be on supply chain now too. And uh, so if that's what they want to do, of course, I'll support them to, to do that. Yeah. Man, that's uh, a beautiful answer. And I like, I like old Zara. I think Zara has got something in common with our middle child, Gracie. You got to <laughs> fake it till you make it sometimes, right? Yeah. Uh, so, all right. So, Jenny, any of your thoughts there? And then, of course, we can move right into some of these final questions we want to ask uh, Ramatu today. Yeah, it's uh, it's really interesting because yes, you know, there was a, there was an article written that apparently uh, people are, are now avoiding supply chain management as a career because the responsibilities are being shown as being too onerous. Um, and certainly in the in our student conference, somebody was asked. Uh, is is supply chain management a stressful job? 
And uh, it was kind of, you know, everybody laughed and sniggered. But, you know, at the end of the day, there are what 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 job isn't stressful sometimes, you know. But but yeah, there are moments, I, I imagine. And somebody went on to talk about how they were juggling uh, port spaces for a ship and what it was containing and how quickly it was going to go off. And I'm sitting there thinking, yes, that's a really good example of a stressful job. You know, makes event management look like a doddle, really. But uh, but just talking about our children, and it's a really interesting one because you know you've got you've got I've, we've got four boys. So as the mother of boys, I ask the question always: Is are we in danger these days of singling women out too much in the various awards and accolades and things that are going on? And are we at risk of not disempowering, but somehow damaging the confidence of some of our young men coming up through the workforce? And as the mother of mother of daughters, um, and a very strong woman in business. I'm interested to hear what your comments are about that. Yeah, that's a very good question, Jenny. And um, I think um, it's very good uh, to highlight women in supply chain um, in order to inspire other women to join and reach for the stars. But I also think it depends on um, your, where you, your area, I mean, where you're based. So for us in Africa, if you look at the supply chains, you find that women are just not there. Like, it's empty. Nobody is there. So uh, maybe in Europe, America, it might be a bit different. You have more female representation. But if you look down here, not much of that is happening. So um, while it's good to showcase more women in order to be able to inspire others, I think it's very important that we explore the barriers that are preventing women from um, being represented or being at the table. And some of these barriers have to do with um, their, their deeper social determinants, such as girl-child education, there's culture, um, socioeconomic issues, there's poverty, and there are policies also that um, do not favor women, um, um, such as looking at child care, so working women and yeah. child care, paid leave, sexual and reproductive health, look at maternal health, um, and just so many problems out there that um, serve as tumbling blocks for women in this industry. I think that's why there's always this need to showcase in order to have more women to come on board, have more diversity, inclusivity, and equity, and all that. Well, I think you're also right on the other hand, because I think everybody is important, and it's just, it's not um, yeah, just, it's not a binary thing. There's so many other groups out there that have been excluded, you know, vulnerable people. We have physically challenged people that also need to be on board. Um, so we have to be able to keep all that um, on the horizon, to be able to look at all that and see, okay, so who are the people that have been left out in the supply chains? Do we need to get more of those people on board? And I'm happy that a lot of supply chains are talking about um, DEI, in their supply chains. It's just starting, but I think it's important. It's important for suppliers. You need to have more representation and diversity in your suppliers, just like we have at the customer end. So as long as our customers are not monolithic, um, they are diverse, then I think that people that work in the supply chain should equally represent the fabric 
of our end users. So it's really important. So we have to put up, we have to always check that pulse and make sure that people are not being overlooked. Um, but it's important to, to look at women because traditionally um, the, the policies and the rules and everything do not favor women for now. Mm. That, that's the way I see it. Jenny. Great answer. Yeah, yeah great answer. I mean, everything and more, and it's and it forms the basis of about a three-hour-long conversation. I think. Yes, a very comprehensive answer as well. Because yeah, it, really good. It's really what it requires because it's it's such a um um it, there's so much complexity right into truly ensuring opportunity and advancement for all. I mean, it, it's such a um, talk about some research that we're gonna have to double down on. Yeah, I wanna get y'all to respond to one other thing and, and then we'll we'll wrap and make sure folks know how to connect with you both. So we did an interview that we haven't, uh, we'll have released by the time this, this releases, but we sat down with three attendees of a recent women in manufacturing summit here in the States. And we, we, get, we sat down and got their key takeaways from the experience. And one of my favorite parts of the conversation that came up, uh, one of our participants said, you, you don't need, I want to shout this loud for folks in the back, for anyone that might be listening. You don't need permission to do what you want to do. You don't need approval. You don't need a permission note uh, signed by your parents or anyone else to do what you want to do with your career. And, you know, I think when I think of, of the last question to Ramatu and Ramatu, some of your, your response there, I think that all of us uh, across gender lines across all the different demographics. I think there is some head trash that says, I need someone's permission to go after what I want to do in this life. And I think when we have that epiphany at some point in our career is that we can do whatever we want to do, right? At least, you know, we may not have the right resources. We may not have wealth as defined in a lot of different ways, but we're able to pursue it without getting anyone's permission. I think that is a really important message that our listeners, but also the folks in the next generation that are matriculating through high schools or, or even as far back as elementary schools, they need to know that and need to know it as early in their journeys as possible. Jenny, I'd, I'd love for you to respond to that and Ramatu, then I'll, I'll come get, kind of get your response as well. Yeah, what I would say is, is where that's possible, because there are still places where people, and going back to Ramati's point, women do need permission to mm. do certain things. And I think that there's a difference between having self-belief and knowing that you can achieve anything. And I go back to that advice in the last interview that Ramati would give to her, her daughters, which is to believe in yourself mm. and don't let anybody else tell you otherwise. And I think that there's that, there's that self-belief that can actually then help you handle if if you are in a place where you can't necessarily just be that free spirit and I think that that I've learned it very very late I'm still learning it how to believe in myself and I think mm. that it's something that again as a as a as a parent um to be able to instill that in your children is a is a phenomenal gift well said Ramatu so um, for me, I see um, some of these platforms, like what we're doing here today, these are very important for children. I'm assuring you that Zara and others are going to be watching it, and that's very important because the message that um, they are going to get from such discussions are the kind of things that prepare them for their future. Um, there are things that we don't even see that um, they are able to interpret and come out of it. And also, I believe other women 
looking at this show and people that are generally disadvantaged or thinking you need permission to be able to do anything or you need to have certificates. No, you don't. You don't need to have all that. You just need to be able to have value that you can add um, to other people. And with that, you should be able to forge ahead. And it's also important to know that. So for me, one of the things, I get asked questions. So people ask me, so how are you able to do all these? You're so good and all that. I tell them, no, I'm not that good. I'm just learning every day. And um, I don't wait for, for it to be perfect. You know, if you ask me to come and if Scott is inviting me, you know, I have to do some research and read around and do all that. But I also just show up. So it's important for us to show up, just be there. If, it, if you've not gotten it perfect, just go there and um, um, be open to, to absorbing that experience. So I try to, to, to do that. Even for this PhD, I've seen that with some of my colleagues and they think, okay, PhDs are very difficult. They are not, I'm not saying it's not difficult, but I try to have fun in whatever I do. So I don't let the difficult part um, bog me down. I try to look at it, oh, this is an experience. So what are the other things I need to be doing apart from literature review and data collection? Oh, there's some gala night or something I need to be doing. Networking, very important, meeting people that are different from you. And those are the experiences that I take with me. So I believe everybody um, can um, adopt that attitude, being open to learning and just letting go of whatever is holding you up. Love that. All right. So what I heard in your both of your responses is that we want individuals to embrace that mentality. However, mm -hmm. as leaders, we've got to find those obstacles and invest in a successful, effective, uh, effective approaches to obliterating those obstacles uh, across the industry that unfortunately still mm -hmm. still remain. So um, well said, Jenny and Ramatu. I've really enjoyed our conversation today. I always want to bolt on a few more hours, right? I know. But nonetheless, uh, so what I want to do here as we start to wrap, first off, Jenny, I'm going to put you on the spot here. Out of all that we've walked through here today with the one and only Ramatu Abdul-Kadir, what was your favorite thing that she has shared here today, Jenny? Oh, there's just so much, so, so, so much. And there always is so much. But I think that, you know, for me, it's not what you said. It's kind of what you demonstrate and that that's your love and your pride for your daughters. Um, I think that shines through every time you mention one of their names. So for me, that's the thing is that you can, and I think I'm always reminded of it, Ramati, when I meet you, is that you can be an incredibly successful individual in your chosen field but you can still be gracious, warm, and loving. And it doesn't mean that you have to be a fierce, strong, you know, you can do your job effectively by still being the essence of you. So thank you always for reminding me of that. Love that. Thank you, Dave. Thank and the you. passion for industry and the passion and the for passion. Uh, moving the industry forward in the current challenges and beyond. Mm -hmm. I think that's what sticks out to me. So, hey, Ramatu, how can our listeners connect with you and, and some of these cool things you're doing? Thank you, um, Scott. That's very important. Like I told you, I enjoy meeting people and just sharing ideas and all that. So I'm on LinkedIn, I'm on Facebook, I'm on Twitter. I try to be everywhere also, but I'm, I'm more active on some um, social media sites than others. But if you can hit me up on any of them, we're sure to continue this discussion. Love that. Uh, thank you so much, Ramatu. And Jenny, same question. You and the SAPIX team continue to do some big things. 
helping folks across Africa and really beyond, frankly. I really enjoyed that young professional uh, event that y'all hosted. How can folks connect with you? Yeah, same as Ramashi, very active on LinkedIn and Twitter predominantly. And um, and really anything that's got tweets, look out for it because I'll retweet it. Unless it's about baseball, at which point I kind of glaze over a bit. Well, and sapix.org. And sapix.org. And that's just S-A-P-I-C-S. I I was about to say that because if you spell poorly like I do, you need S-A-P-I-C-S. You put an X in inevitably. That's right. Well, hey, you know, that sense of humor is so important. I circle back to it. I really enjoy, you know, you got to enjoy what you do. But then there's times where you got to really lean in and find a way to get a giggle or a laugh. And I, I want to wrap on this before we, we say a bit adieu to both y'all. So, you know, Blockbuster and Netflix had a strong competition way back in the day, right? Blockbuster, of course, was the dominant uh, video rental player at the time that was really committed to VHS tapes and, and that physical mm-hmm. medium. And, of course, Netflix was the upstart. You know, Netflix disrupted everything, and now it's been reported they're worth about $230 billion, Netflix. Netflix. But Jenny Ramatu, for a time there, they were fierce competitors. And Reed Hastings, who co-founded Netflix, was being interviewed back in the early 2000s of how Blockbuster was coming after Netflix. And he said something like, they're throwing everything at us, but the kitchen sink, right? And he was on an analyst call, so it was public. Uh, so the very next day, Reed Hastings shows up at his office and the folks at Blockbuster had sent him a kitchen sink sitting there at his office, (laughs) you know, and if if two fierce rivals can have that degree of, of kind of enjoying the journey, enjoying the competition, you know, having Mm -hmm. a little bit of fun, Hey, all the rest of us Mm -hmm. can. So, so maintain that sense of humor, but Hey, most importantly, be like Ramatu and Jenny, and the world's going to be a better place. And on that note, I want to challenge you. Hey, on behalf of our entire team here at Supply Chain Now, Scott Luton signing off for now. Do good. Give forward. Be the change that's needed. Be just like Ramatu and Jenny. And we'll see you next time right back here on Supply Chain Now. Thanks, everybody. Thanks for being a part of our Supply Chain Now community. Check out all of our programming at SupplyChainNow.com and make sure you subscribe to Supply Chain Now anywhere you listen to podcasts. And follow us on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram. See you next time on Supply Chain Now. Supply Chain Now.